This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center, and you're here at the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. And our topic today is the military chaplaincy. Well, it's the military chaplaincy, and it's also about movies, if you can put those two things together. My guest is Justin Roberts, who graduated from the Media Arts Program here at Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Justin is a military chaplain who is stationed in Germany. In fact, he's going to go from this taping directly onto a plane and back <laughs> to Germany. So uh, we hope he gets lots of rest tonight. And uh, um, But he also is responsible for helping to uh, – publicize a movie called The Hornet's Nest that will be out in DVD shortly and that is about the military experience. And so we thought we'd have Justin in to talk about the military chaplaincy, about the military and Christians in the military and kind of the mix that that represents and, and let him share a little bit about uh, about that experience as a part of the kind of ministry that uh, that our grads uh, sometimes uh, fall into as, as, uh, as their calling. So, Justin, tell us a little bit about yourself. First, your, a little bit about your training uh, for both the military and for theology. <laughs> Most people don't put those two together quite so easily. And then, and then uh, how you ended up being connected to the you film. Know, it's, it's funny because like, I know so many chaplains who play guitar, uh -huh. and so they have that skill set. Uh -huh. And I have no musical talent. I can't even clap and sing at the same time. Okay, But I love photography, mm -hmm. and I love film, and I love writing. and. So when I got to DTS, I wasn't even aware when I first came here that they had a media arts program. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even tracking at the mm -hmm. time. And so when I got here, I discovered that. And I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. Mm. You know? So I got a master's in biblical studies and a master's in media arts and communication. Um, but I was still on track to go into the chaplaincy. Mm -hmm. And so I took those loves with me still. And um, when I got into the Army, I, I continued doing photography and started studying cinematography and um, also continued to work on writing. And um, that when we deployed, I just talked to my command team and asked, hey, is it okay if I carry a camera? Hmm. And um, so that's what's kind of spiraled into this. Uh, you know, I had a, what led me out onto the missions, you know, actually going to the patrols and stuff, I had a really good first sergeant mm -hmm. who was a mentor of mine. Mm -hmm. And I asked him before I deployed, I was like, how should I do this ministry? Because I'd never done it before. I was a very green chaplain. Uh -huh. I literally showed up to my first training exercise with my helmet cover on backwards. Okay. So, <laughs> so they mentored me, and I, I, I needed that. And um, so God does provide, you know. And so he told me, uh, when I asked him, he was like, the number one thing you need to do, you need to go out on the patrols with the guys. You need to be near the front during major operations so that way you can pray, do your chaplain stuff. You know, pray over the guys when they're wounded and pray over the guys if they're, they're dying. And um, so I made that my mission uh, to go on those patrols to connect. Hmm. And it does work. Hmm. You know, if you're with people where they're hurting the most, 
uh, that's when they begin to trust you. Mm-hmm. And so in the midst of that, I was still carrying my camera and just snapping away, just capturing some of the experience. And during Operation Strong Eagle Three, which is one of the largest um, operations, you know, or one of the largest battles in the war, mm-hmm. um, we landed into a valley that had roughly 400 Taliban fighters, and um, and we had about 400 too. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was a pretty bad firefight. Hmm. And so. During that time, there was a reporter named Mike Betcher, mm-hmm. who's America's longest working war correspondent. Mm-hmm. Well, we met. Um, I had some footage, and he had some footage. I asked my command team if I could lend him the footage mm-hmm. for his news piece. Mm-hmm. Well, he put together a news story for Nightline um, that was a Memorial Day special, mm-hmm. and uh, that wound up winning two Emmys. Mm-hmm. And once it won two Emmys, it started doing talks with Hollywood. And um, that's how it spiraled into the hornet's nest. Mm-hmm. So some of my footage is in that film, and I'm a co-executive producer on it. I see. Yes. Now, uh, now your training here was primarily in the area of writing. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. And so, so you've kind of transferred now into doing. Uh, so I take it you're both writing and filming now. Yes, sir. That's great. Put them together, and you're pretty much directing. There you go. <laughs> so, very good. Yeah. So, um, so let, let's talk a little bit about about military and. Chaplaincy, you know, for some people um, wrestle with that combination in one way or another. Yeah. How, um, uh, many people perceive, and 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 rightfully so, wrestle with the fact, you know, that Jesus talks about blessed are the peacemakers and that kind of thing. And there's almost a, if not a, a pacifist orientation, a pacifist leaning in, in some elements of the New Testament. So how do you put that together in terms of uh, being a, a military person who's a Christian who's who's there to to minister and serve? How do you how do you put that together? Hey. I think I definitely don't want to speak on behalf of um, all theology or all chaplains on this one. (laughs) I mean, as far as me personally, um, it it never struck up an issue with me. I mean, Mm -hmm. because my number one goal is to take care of my soldiers Mm -hmm. and to minister to them. Mm -hmm. And then if anybody else comes into my circle, like with the Afghans, then absolutely to care for them as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Now... That's where I stand, and I, I of course I do. I'm, I'm serving guys who are warriors, mm-hmm. who are bringing war mm-hmm. you know, upon others, um, and so then we start getting into just war theory. That's right, <laughs> That's exactly. Well, some people, don't, but some people don't even know about just war theory. Yeah. I mean, I've I've done I've done pieces myself uh, when uh, the uh, Iran war broke out uh, uh, with Iraq, rather. Um, uh, I did a piece for the Dallas Morning News that yeah. discussed just war in relationship to pacifism because people know I do a lot of writing about Jesus. So, yes. <laughs> uh, um, so, so that comment. So, some people don't aren't aware of the distinction between individual ethics, if you will, and the yes. right of the state to defend its people and to have a military and that kind of thing. So, um, that's in some ways what I was alluding to. Yeah. And uh, and so the the point being that the chaplaincy is there because. This this is a military. Obviously, is a high stress situation in which yes. people are uh, risking life and limb. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of trauma that goes into being in the military. There are uh, terrific 
work responsibilities, there's separation from home. There's just a lot at a personal level yeah. to deal with if you're in the military. Yes. And so the idea of a minister coming alongside who has some some uh, both theological and counseling background that can help with someone in that situation makes sense uh, to have. And so that's what chaplains do, isn't it? Yeah, and this is something too, like uh, the workload is always a heavy workload. And just by that, I think it proves its need. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I'll do three or four counselings a day, mm-hmm. you know, and it's going to be divorces. It's going to be, um, uh, you know, depression, PTS, um, you know, a litany of issues that are bubbling up through the uh, under the surface. Mm-hmm. And um, these are people who, you know, a lot of the people who've been through combat who've been traumatized. Mm-hmm. And so that is our job is just to, to walk with them as as pastors uh, and care for them, you know, to care for the broken. And so that's that's our role. Um, it's as far as like you know the the day to day functions. I mean, well, I was going to ask doing you about sermons. that. I was going to ask you about that next. What does a chaplain do? What's the? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Sundays might be transparent as to what might happen on a Sunday, but why don't you take yeah. us through a normal week and then come to Sunday? What does a chaplain do? Oh. I don't know if I've ever had a normal week. <laughs> um, I mean, because it really is. Um, I'm an emergency responder a lot of times too, mm-hmm. and so when I get 3 a.m. calls that you know somebody's having a suicidal ideation, uh, I'm going to respond to that. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I'm I'm given. Um, average chaplains are going to have around 800 people mm-hmm. to care for. Mm-hmm. You know, their battalion, um, and so they are going to meet whatever that need is. Mm-hmm. You know, as pastors, mm-hmm. um, and so it's going to be a lot of counseling. I think that's the bread and butter of the job. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also working as a staff officer for the commander. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to report to him. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as the. Uh, Health and you know morale of the unit. Mm-hmm. You know, how are the guys doing? What are the trends? And mm-hmm. how can the unit try to help meet those needs? Mm-hmm. Um, and then somehow you fit in your Sunday service, you know, working uh-huh. on the sermon. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, see, I always kind of uh, just joke around. It seems like you know, other pastors will have about ten hours or so to kind of work on their sermon, and mm-hmm. we'll have two. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I hope it's good quality. Yeah. But, yeah. So, so there's a lot of pastoral care. There are so many questions that are lined up here. I'm not sure which one to deal with. Let me deal with one that that might not be trans, uh, transparent to most people, but that they might think about once I ask it. And that is, you know, uh, we talk about in our constitution that there's a separation of uh, of church and state, and mm-hmm. yet there the the tradition of a chaplaincy goes way way back. <laughs> yeah. So um, so obviously there's no constitutional challenge to chaplains existing with no, the sir. army because of the historic association well, that's existed. It's, it's also it's their rights. Mm-hmm. You know, first off, the the first two people that Washington appointed mm-hmm. under, in the military was mm-hmm. first the infantry, mm-hmm. the second was the chaplain. <laughs> like, okay, we got all these rowdy guys. Uh-huh. Let's get somebody for these so rowdy goes guys. Way, yes. way back. Yeah, and, and Washington is very famous for having given in a farewell speech, um, made the observation that, that religion is really the pillar of the stability of a society. And so, yes. so he was very much committed to the presence of religion without endorsing any particular 
yes. strain of faith. And, and that's how the chaplaincy is run. Am, am yes. I, am I and right? it's a natural part of the fabric of society. Uh-huh. And it's something that's never going to be removed. Mm-hmm. I mean, we ebb and flow throughout time, you know, uh, as, as far as religious positions are concerned, but religion is always going to be present. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as people's constitutional rights, soldiers. All military has Title Ten rights. Mm-hmm. They have the right to practice their faith, mm-hmm. and the providers of the those faiths are chaplains mm-hmm. of you know Protestant, Catholic, you know Buddhist, Muslim, Jewish, mm-hmm. all of these faiths. Um, and when we're in a war zone, we still have the right to practice those faiths, mm-hmm. and those faiths need leaders, mm-hmm. guidance. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the chaplain corps brings to the table. Mm-hmm. And so the chaplaincy is made up of people of all kinds of uh, of faiths, and yes. and so it's diverse, like uh, like our society is. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, they, uh, we've covered the legal ground. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it's, it's a constitutional right that we're yeah. we're exercising on on uh-huh. their behalf. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's it's not proselytizing; it's just providing. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. Okay, well, uh, that explains the rationale of the chaplaincy. You've talked a little bit about what you do, that you do a lot of counseling. You've talked a little bit about about suicide. You've brought up that element. Uh, I, I take it that the military... Uh, wrestles with because of the traumatic situation in which pe- uh, soldiers find themselves that there are probably at least two or three key issues that come up regularly. One is is the wrestling with maintaining the, for those who are married, maintaining their marriages while yes. they're away and uh, oftentimes uh, completely separated from their family and and the dynamics that that means not only while they're away but also their dynamics when they return and and the unit comes back yeah. together and the adjustments that have been made. I, I know of many stories I've heard among military that you know that. They're married. They go away. Their wife has been running everything at home for a long time. They come back, and there's that readjustment, and she now understands how the home works in many cases, and so uh, better than he does. That's right. That's right. So, um, uh, and and sometimes have borne this responsibility for a very long period of time uh, because they can be a uh, 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 time in service away can be mm-hmm. can last for a long time. Uh, so. Um, so there's that. There's just the pressure and the trauma of facing battle, yeah. if I can say. And then there's the there's the the trauma of having gone through battle, if I can yes. say it that way. Uh, and and so you mentioned suicide ideation, and I know the military wrestles with and keeps its eye on caring for veterans uh, in light of the trauma that they're put through. Um, let's talk about that a little bit from the chaplain side. Uh, what what 
is is that the major area of counseling, or a major area of counseling that you have? Is the is the trauma it's, related to battle, or is it all over the map? It's all over the map. I mean, because it's it, and it also depends on what's currently going on in the unit. So as we gear up to deploy, then counseling shift into you know pre-deployment issues. Mm-hmm. You know the stresses of you know leaving the the family. Mm-hmm. You know the stresses for the family of you know losing their their soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during the deployment, there's going to be a litany. It could be trauma issues. It could be depression issues. It could be um, the just the anxiety of war. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as they come home, you know that transition too, like marital problems and issues parenting issues, you know, mm-hmm. how do I take on that new role again, mm-hmm. um, the financial issues, uh-huh. um, and depression and sleep issues, it's, um, you know, it's hard not to be broken, you know, when you're going through war, mm-hmm. and there's going to always be fractures. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets through it completely just normal. You're going to be changed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that you have to be negatively changed. But you are going to be changed. There's going to be a, a transformation. Um, and that's not just for the soldiers. That's also for their spouses and their families. They're going to go through a transformation as well. Um, and so it's just trying to, to guide that mm-hmm. you know, towards a positive direction, towards mm-hmm. strengthening, mm-hmm. You know, more resiliency. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's, that's how we try to, to walk alongside them in the midst of that. Um, so I wish there was definite trends that we could target. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give so, us a target to shoot at. But. Yeah. So when you minister, you're ministering to the soldier and to the family. Do yes. you end up So so there's uh, so when you talk about dealing with family transitions, you're talking about both dealing with the husband and the wife and the children and the kiddos. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, uh, so you were in Afghanistan for for, uh, for a while. For yes, how sir. Long? For from 2010 to 2011, mm-hmm. and so for 12 months. Mm-hmm. Now, are most deployments uh, are, are they a year long? Or are they six months long? Or how long? Uh, they, or does that it vary? depends. It depends on the branch. Army is usually 12 months, but I think they have now geared it towards nine month deployments. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and we're starting to wind down, which mm-hmm. is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so someone runs the house at home, and they've been a, and, and, the, <laughs> yes. and the husband, in effect, or the wife has been away for uh, for anywhere from nine months to a year. Yeah. And they drop back in. Kids are a little grown, a little more grown up, and yeah. and everything's changed. And so, the, all the di- marital dynamics that you had before you left have been altered. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as my wife and I like to joke, when we change countries. We've lived in Germany four separate times for a year, just like you're stationed in Germany. <laughs> Say all the rules of how we manage our marriage in the United States change when we go to Germany yeah. because they, because things just operate in a different way and different people are uh, – cultural accepts certain people doing certain things and less accepting of certain <laughs> people doing certain things. And so yeah. all, all that adjustment happens. And the same thing happens within family dynamics too, I take it. Yeah. It's, and Hopefully that they get enough contact, you know, during the year. But uh, there's only so much that can be communicated through Skype mm-hmm. and you know, through a telephone. Mm-hmm. And so things do change. And the thing is, is one of the amazing things is in the process of it that the communication is kept up and they keep reaching out and focusing on each other. And then their marriage can be strengthened by it. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever I, I went on the deployment, mm-hmm. I remember halfway through it, I was like. I am never going to take for granted, mm-hmm. you know, the time that I have with her, mm-hmm. and you know, the time that I have with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's not something you're really aware of until it's taken from you. Mm-hmm. And so it can be a blessing in the midst of it. Um, but it's different for everybody on, on how that transition happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's always uh, difficult. Mm-hmm. Change is always difficult, I guess. So so we've talked about family and family dynamics and how mm-hmm. that works. You've, you've mentioned two other things that I think are important. You've talked about depression, which is interesting, and then obviously the trauma of war. Let's go through that. Let's go through those two. Uh, depression. Uh, how is that? Is there a way in which that's peculiar in the context of the military, or or I... or? Would you say no? It's just that the nature of the pressure people are put under uh, yeah, makes it more common. Yeah, I think it's just the the nature of the stress that's the, you know everybody's being put on. Um, you know, throughout a deployment, that can pop up, mm-hmm. and I think it po- can pop up. I think fairly, you know, for a lot of people, especially if they've been through combat. Mm-hmm. Um, because no matter what happens, I mean, the brain still has to process what's going on. Mm-hmm. This is a lot of new stuff that human beings just naturally do not mm-hmm. um, cope with well. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually, it's, especially it's you know you're being shot at. Mm-hmm. You have a friend who's died, mm-hmm. you know, possibly close to you, mm-hmm. um, and so these are traumatic things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, how people process that when they get back, um, you know, is difficult, especially mm-hmm. if they're not working with somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about it, they mm-hmm. don't know how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something we encounter, you know, fairly often. Mm-hmm. And it's and normal, and it's okay. That's it's right. Just, yeah, yeah. And, and, and obviously, the the trauma of war can be intense, and that's part of why suicide can sometimes be a problem in the military because yeah. people have do have a lot of trouble sometimes processing what they see and what they've experienced. Yeah. Now, um, I'm going to shift a little bit. Um, uh, w- I take it the hornet's nest is about uh, is about a, a soldier's experience. Is that is mm-hmm. that a fair way to say it? Yeah. And so, what Mike Betcher did is he, he's he's America's longest working war correspondent, mm-hmm. and so for over thirty years he's been doing this job. And just like soldiers, he'd go on his deployments mm-hmm. to report, mm-hmm. and so he'd be away from his family again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And his son, because of that, Carlos. They just had a lot of separation. Hmm. And so when Mike let him know that he was going to be um, going on this next deployment you know, to, to cover the soldiers and Marines, um, his son asked if he could go, hmm. and just so that way they could connect and have that time together. Hmm. And um, so, How old was he at the time? Um, I think he's like mid-20s. Okay. And, and Mike Betcher is a little bit older. Yeah. But don't, don't tell him I said that. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, they spent the, you know, that time, you know, uh, I'm not sure how long it was, but I know it was a good long time, um, with the Marines, stationed with the Marines in Helmand Province, one of the most dangerous places, hmm. and um, then up in Kunar Province, the mm-hmm. other dangerous place. Hmm. Um, and... Uh, so that's their story. Hmm. It's the story of a father and son, their relationship, um, and also the lessons that they learned from these soldiers hmm. in the the midst of that place. So it's it's the point of view is from the point of view of the reporter and his son. Yes, um, and the footage is footage that both you and he shot. Uh, yes, sir, and and Carlos. And so I come in probably uh-huh. during the third act. You can see some of my footage there. Okay, so so Carlos is the son. Yes, sir. Okay, so um, 
And so you are giving people the feel of not just what reporting on war is about, but what the war experience itself is about for the soldiers. Is that yes. the – I mean, if someone goes to – you know, people are used to going and seeing war films that are either about something in the history in the past that's usually a made-up story or yes. somewhat made up, as opposed to being um, a reflection of kind of the real experience. Would you, would you consider this more a documentary or – It is. It is. But it's the way that it's cut is um, it, it's more like a, a feature film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's not a slow documentary. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> it's, it's fast paced and, uh-huh. and it's you know bullets are flying and mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, it's the hard stuff, but the stuff that I think we need to see as a country. We need to have this conversation mm-hmm. as the war is coming to a close. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to begin discussing these things because this is a good segment of our population who has fought this war on our country's behalf. Mm-hmm. So we need to understand it. Okay, so the part of the so there are multiple points I take it to the film. One is obviously to to just the human story of this reporter and his son and how yes, they sir. operate in this kind of an environment. The second is to, is to give an appreciation I take it for what it is that someone who is in the military goes through by serving overseas and giving a glimpse of what that looks like. And it sounds like that part of it is to is to enhance people's appreciation for what the service service in the military means, but to push it in a less abstract direction, if I can say it that way. We're talking about more than applauding for the serviceman who, who, yeah. uh, who we see at the airport, which I've seen several times, mm-hmm. or allowing them to get on the plane first when, the, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> when, when you're talking about, in part, a, a substantive a societal response in appreciation for someone who's in the military who comes back because their sense of – uh, of displacement, if I can use that word, yeah. when they come back, processing, having processed going through a war, and now trying to re-enter society, is actually one of the more difficult transitions that a military person can have. Is that yes? And it's the thing is like I, I don't, I don't think it wraps itself in the flag. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think it does is it just simply shares their stories. Mm-hmm. Like here's just simply these are guys, these are gals, they're just human beings. They have kids, they have families, um, and so understanding them past just being a number, a statistic, mm-hmm. you know, in a war zone or just a, uh, a distant coverage, you know, from a newsroom. Mm-hmm. These are the human beings who are fighting this war. And mm-hmm. you can't really understand this war without understanding that these are people. Hmm. And so that's what this film is trying to do, is just to simply share their stories. Um, and in the midst of it, you know, the reporter's story, mm-hmm. you know, his own experience of it and what he's experiencing, you know, what he's learning from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I, what we're trying to push out, and and in this in in the midst of doing that, I take it that part of the goal is to is to give people a, a really a, a a deeper appreciation for the level of sacrifice that's involved in serving in the military overseas. Would yeah. that be? I mean, I, I I could ask you, you know, what's the mission of the that's, film? Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's it's I. Uh, through the stories, I mean, just naturally through the stories, whenever you hear them, it's not something that has to be fictionalized in any way or, or prompted or manipulated. It's just simply telling, you know, the story of these guys. Mm-hmm. And when you get to know them, mm-hmm. I mean, these are my friends. I, yeah. I, I'm insanely impressed by these guys, mm-hmm. you know, and what they have been through um, and what they're striving for. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have several, several guys who are wounded whenever they were over there. And then chose to come back mm-hmm. to the unit, mm-hmm. and they could have stayed home. Mm-hmm. They honestly could have, mm-hmm. 
but they chose to come back to their guys because they love their guys. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't impress you as a human being, I have no idea what will. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be manipulated. It doesn't have to be construed. It just that is what happened. Yeah. So it's you know an evidence of love. It's an evidence of uh, the, their true care for the people that they're fighting with. Um, and that inspires me. Uh-huh. <laughs> that pumps me up. Uh-huh. Uh, it makes me proud. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Join us next week for part two. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. Love well.